Good evening. Do you believe in ghosts? everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week it's a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise, and at the end of each episode along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon. We're keeping the spooky vibes going with some more Argento next week, so join the sleaze. We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes uh, every single month, which we have been doing for over three years. Damn. So there are something like 90 bonus episodes waiting for you, as well as our bonus transmission series, where we talk about new release genre films, which for anyone listening to this, there is one dropping tomorrow, where we are finally talking about things like Bond, things yeah. like Titane or Titan or Titan, yes. however you want to say it. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is a bonus transmission going up for that tomorrow. So again, patreon.com slash these weights podcast. We have any interest uh, in that. That's the one plug for the week. Oh, sorry. We got to do the patrons. I'm always forgetting the patrons. Uh, sorry, sorry, sorry. We gotta will. Uh, yeah, we got uh, speaking of which we do have some patrons to thank this week. So we have Rance. We have Amrit. We have Sullivan. We have Aaron Queener. We have Primrose Path and Finnegan Hughes. So thanks awesome. so much to all of you folks for signing up. Hope you guys are enjoying those bonus episodes. Yes, thank you. Um, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug, as always, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, and I know that you are, I see the stats. I see you right now listening, uh, op- closing Apple Podcasts and turning on to a different uh, show of some sort. Um, no, you before won't. you do that, scroll down to the very bottom <laughs> and give us a good old rating and review down at the bottom. It helps us climb the, rank at I- climb the ranks at iTunes and find new listeners. And then the uh, very last plug. Uh, a very fitting plug for this week's episode is uh, merch. If you guys like the poster art that uh, friend of the pod, Trevor Henderson, did for the uh, show, you can get it basically put on anything that you want. A shirt, a mug, a notebook, a hoodie, a pillow. We have had someone buy a pillow. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> you can uh, find the link to that in the description uh, of this episode or at sleezoidspodcast.com which is uh, a great plug to include every week. We love shouting Trevor out every single week on the show. Yeah. Uh, and as, as a result, uh, that means that sometimes he has to join us, which is what's happening this week. Trevor, <laughs> what's up? 
Hey, uh, I'm happy to join you. Thank you so much for inviting me again um, to recommend some more movies and make you watch them. No, yeah. pro- no problem. Thank- thanks so much. Trevor is obviously an incredible um, horror artist enough that we reached out to him have, uh, thank to, you. to do the artwork for, for our show, but he's got lots of stuff that you can find on his website and on his Instagram and everything. Um, and we knew that we had to have him on because this month is Spooktober. Um, where <laughs> right. we specifically talk about um, uh, horror films for the entire month. Not that we neglect them throughout the year or anything, but <laughs> we do nothing but the spooky vibes um, for this month. And two weeks ago, I think would have been the last time you guys would have uh, heard from us, we were doing um, Daughters of Darkness plus the Francis Ford Coppola Dracula with um, friend of the pod and critic Brianna Ziegler, which was a lot of fun talking about vampires getting horny and violent um, <laughs> uh, in very, very extreme ways, which led us into last week's episode over on the Patreon for the bonus listeners, where we plugged in an episode that we've been meaning to do for a while, but finally kind of clicked for us because of uh, Brianna bringing on some vampires. We talked about Catherine Bigelow's Near Dark from 1987, yes. as well as John Carpenter's Vampires from 1998, two films mm, that are both yeah. sort of uh, Western, <laughs> Western uh, vampire horror with two very different tonal realizations <laughs> of what that film might look and feel like. We had a lot of time breaking down how the two filmmakers kind of approached a similar genre and subject. Uh, Bigelow's a little bit more existential and romantic. John Carpenter's was a little bit nastier and exploitative. And starring um, James Woods. So. And starring James Woods, That's who called vampires <laughs> like dickheads while he was <laughs> fucking great. them up. So it's good stuff. Uh, Patreon.com slash These Ways Podcast. That was last week's bonus episode. But moving on to this week. We brought Trevor on, and I, I let him know that this was going to be sort of like the main feed, the last main feed free episode before Halloween came. So to put us in the Halloween vibes, Trevor, what uh, two films have you brought with you this week, and why did they pair together? Uh, so the two films I brought this week uh, both kind of exemplify this um, nostalgic small town autumn slash October that may or may not have ever actually existed. <laughs> um, I brought uh, Lady in White, uh, Fra- Frank Lagogia, as I believe is uh, director's name, La- Lady in White, and uh, a TV movie uh, called The Midnight Hour. And uh, I think that they pair really well together. Um, and they're both just very, they're both really cozy Halloween movies until they're not, um, especially Lady in White, which kind of lulls you in with being a very like, um, you know, child, child, uh, like a, a made for kids, a movie almost at times until it extremely is not like suddenly it will not be <laughs> right. Um, and midnight hour is just like this incredibly fun, uh, television, uh, program, but like vampires running rampant across a, a small town during Halloween with like just this utterly stacked soundtrack that <laughs> yeah, is un- yeah, unprecedented out of nowhere, which is like, out- it's part of the reason why it has it's it's kind of unknown is because they haven't been able to properly release the thing because of all the music. Um, <laughs> I was wondering, <laughs> but yeah, but I think that they go well. They go really well together, especially if you watch like maybe Lady in White first, and then you, which gets to some heavy, some pretty heavy places and parts, and then you can watch um, you know the Midnight Hour, which is a little little slighter, but just like really fun. Absolutely, Hell yeah, yeah, yeah. Both of these definitely have that 
that, uh, as you mentioned, that nostalgic children's horror kind of vibe yeah. for them that both take place around Halloween and both definitely have very spooky, foggy kind of autumn colors and, and aesthetic choices um, made made for them. Um, and yeah, I think we're going to jump right into it here. I think uh, we are actually, we, we tend to go chronological on the show, so I think we are going to start with the lighter uh, of the two films. We are going to nice. start with The Midnight Hour. I don't like the sound of this. And claim their victims. Don't come another step closer. You can't beat us. Sherry Belafonte Harper. Kevin McCarthy. LeVar Burton. Midnight Hour. We have to end this. We gotta do it all by midnight. If they wait... There'll be nobody else around. Happy Halloween. All right, we are talking about The Midnight Hour, the 1985 American made-for-television com- comedy horror film directed by one Jack Bender who uh, I've only previously seen one of his movies before, and it was Child's Play 3, (laughs) which was... um, Wow, I didn't know that he directed that, actually. Yeah, which was actually... I'm not crazy about Child's Play 3, but I I was interested to see what else this guy had done because clearly he got that gig off of something I assumed. And I don't know if it was this or not, because this is <laughs> not the vibe of child's play three. That movie is very, uh, very dark and <laughs> attempting to be satirical and kind of grisly in, in, in ways, obviously, um, that this is, you know, surprisingly kind of, again, sort of optimistic and nostalgic and kind of just sweet and, and, and nice and campy almost a little bit. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Romantic. Yeah, yeah, there's a whole romantic subplot amidst the ghosts and vampires and witches and whatnot. There's a dance number. I can't wait to talk about the dance number. The dance number is incredible, actually, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm starting to really enjoy that. There's been a few occasions where we get a film that isn't a musical but just has a random dance number in the middle, and I'm starting to really like that quality in a movie. It's just great. (laughs) Yeah, I think the last time we talked about that, it was Albert Pyun's Radioactive Dreams, (laughs) which which literally has a, a giant, like, uh, sort of uh, Streets of Fire esque, like eighties pop oh, rock language. musical sequence that just happens in the middle of the movie, and you're kind of like, <laughs> is is this is this really happening? And then yes, the singer does diegetically just jump into the middle of the frame in the middle <laughs> of the scene and start. Or there's going also uh, the Slumber Party Massacre too, where it's got yeah, a couple yes. of those. <laughs> so yeah, I'm I'm really taken to these these eighties films that just want to randomly slashers, rock and roll in the middle of it. Love it. <laughs> I was just thinking. The opening scene of uh, Brian De Palma's Dressed to Kill has a random like musical number out of nowhere, doesn't it? Oh, I don't and remember a, that. On a film set? Oh, maybe I'm oh, wrong. Oh, sorry, no, Body Double. You're thinking Body oh, Double. Oh, Body Double, yeah. not Dressed to Kill. Has, sorry, Body Double. big uh, yeah. relax in the middle of the Yeah, 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 yeah. that's set. it. <laughs> which is a great That scene. and um, uh, uh, Killer Party as well, which is a really weird uh, 80s slasher that not a lot of people have seen. It starts with a drive-in um movie theater set music number. Okay. We can get a list going of uh, yeah. <laughs> horror movies that just have musical numbers in the middle of them at some point. <laughs> It'd be a good letterbox list. Yeah. yeah. There we go. There we go. But yeah, for anyone who hasn't seen uh, the midnight hour, it is, you know, sort of like this, this sort of like, 
uh, 80s teen rom-com kind of meets like a like a children's monster movie like a like a monster mash movie actually more yeah. like <laughs> yeah because there's like um, werewolves and zombies and ghouls and little like dwarf mm-hmm. frankensteins and stuff like it's <laughs> there's just a bunch of monsters in this yeah it's a, it's a whole spirit halloween honestly yeah yeah, and it's yeah, got that and, 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 autumn opening where you know you got the the kid in the mask doing a paper road and and it's got on this, Elm Street. Yeah, yeah, I like yeah, that yeah. little nod. Yeah, so it it definitely has that childhood and nostalgic feel to it right at the very beginning. That's the tone it sets. Yeah, skeleton masks and toques and pumpkins and the the sort of like fall weather and the it's it's got yeah. this very foggy New England Halloween night kind of atmosphere to it that all and all the kids are kind of like excited and they're hanging out in class they're playing a version of hangman yeah. on chalkboard where the answer is ghouls just want to have fun which is what i kind of considered <laughs> the thesis of this movie yeah, at a certain definitely. point <laughs> yeah that atmosphere is definitely like the, the one that's the main through line between these two i think is that atmosphere that small town like mm-hmm. you know bobbing for apples in your classroom kind of uh you know, first grader Halloween almost. Yeah, and that innocence kind of stays throughout the whole movie too, for the, for the most part. Yeah. Um, whereas, I, like with Lady in White, we'll get to has a big turn about halfway through, and and just uh-huh. a couple things sprinkled out that are very much more adult than than childlike. It's it's totally all over the place. Yeah. We'll talk. About. Yeah. Yeah, but 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 this one involves a bunch of high school friends who are are, are from this small New England town that has a history of, uh, of 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 monsters, and that there was this witch finder general who put them all into the ground and stopped the witches and the curses once and for all. And they decide, like all teen kids do, to go uh, to the museum, steal all of the clothes, go to the cemetery. And read the ancient scrolls of the Witchfinder General. <laughs> this one does. This one does. Of course. So I did it all the time. Um, and as a result, they uh, accidentally summon uh, all kinds of zombies and ghouls and werewolves and vampires and witches from their town's histories uh, past. And they all rise from the dirt like Night of the Living Dead style. Um, but uh, surprisingly and keeping with kind of like the tone of this movie, instead of killing just everyone all the time, like you'd expect many of these monsters to do, many of them just want to have a good time. Yeah, they, they want to party. They want to get drunk they, and yep. dance. They want to drink punch. They want to make I'll go to a big Halloween party. Yeah. Right. And, and honestly, the first, <laughs> at least in the, the first couple like kills or whatever, uh, they're actually taking out like authority figures. Like the first guy is an abusive father, and then the second guy is this like uh, kind of, I don't know, makeshift cop that they have for Halloween that drives around with dogs and shit like that. Yeah. So, and he gets taken out. So it's, and, and they're not necessarily like, well, maybe the abusive father is, but the, the other guy isn't necessarily a bad person, but I found it interesting that it was like the authority figures. It was kind of like, uh, these guys are the ones that are going to make it so we can't party. So we got to take them out. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> Anyone else who's just down to hang out at the Halloween party did not get taken out very quickly. Exa- yeah, and the exactly. movie itself is stylized, kind of like knowing this. It's done in this very kind of goofy, cute Halloween party kind of yeah, yeah, uh, vibe Absolutely. to the whole thing. Yeah. Where it's all like foggy New England autumn locations covered in like this very cheap seasonal de- decor and like these costumes that you feel that, that were either like made at home or like could be bought from like a local store. Like they're not like particularly amazing, even though when they get to the actual monster costumes, the makeup actually is amazing and it's actually done by the same uh, makeup and special effects team that did the thriller music video, which probably oh. should, wouldn't be a surprise oh, to nice. anyone. 
because Kinda that was immediately the, the vibe that I got. That was immediately <laughs> the vibe that I got. I was like, this looks almost identical. And they're definitely trying to, you know, uh, pander a little bit to the kids and what was popular when, you know, with making this a TV movie and everything like that as well. Um, yeah. But they did a good job. The the effects team, when it comes to like the monsters actually rising, like they look great and they look like actual monsters. But also, they looked just chintzy enough that the other people are like, "Hey, sick costume, dude!" And yeah. the zombies like, "Yeah, yeah." Argh. It's a very specific <laughs> vibe. Yeah, they hit that middle ground beat between them, like looking very, uh, you know, impressive for the for a TV movie, and also being like, "Yeah, you could." That's some drunk guy in a mummy costume. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's <laughs> And then I love it kind of leads into some some comical gags. Like I like the 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 lead guy is trying to get with his one friend. Um, I can't remember her name. It might be Mary or something like that. I can't. I remember. think it's Mary. Yeah. Yeah, Mary. And he's you know he's getting disappointed because she keeps going after this other guy. And so there's one like funny image that I really liked where he sits on the stairs like all disappointed and puts on his sunglasses. And then the ghoul beside him also does that. And they just <laughs> share yeah. a little moment together. And it's very subtle, but it's it's cute. And there's a ton of those kind of gags throughout it that I just yeah. I just got to like while I was watching it, I really did get that vibe that. I got when I was uh, a kid watching like old family channel Halloween special movies where yeah, exactly. and, and, and this one I actually found because I've I, as a Disney Channel expert recently <laughs> because I'm rewatching everything to log it on Letterboxd. I've been watching a lot of like, well, not not really recently, but a few months ago I was watching a lot of Disney films. And I can say that the, the ones made for TV mostly are pretty bad. So when I when I was watching this one, I couldn't help but just have a really good time and, and respect some of the, the gags and a little bit of the craft too. Like for instance, uh, when the zombies and, and the monsters in general come out before that, there's this kind of cool underground shot that shows the zombie in the coffin before he rises out of the dirt. And, uh, right. there's just a, a, a few little things in here that I would not expect a TV movie to really take the time to do. Uh, so, so yeah, I had a, I had a really good time and I, it, it kind of brought me back to being 12 again on Halloween. <laughs> Yeah, I love um, I love when um, things like this that nece- didn't necessarily have to take those like extra steps. They could have done a really bare bones. Yeah, when uh, they, they it's clear that they were passionate about it and uh, went the extra mile in certain ways. And like everything at that party is just fantastic. I love how much how long they stay at that party and just devote most of the running time to like cool zombie gags and stuff. But like I, I them love dropping the stuff guy, in the punch bowl. The yeah. costume is just a giant box of soap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was my favorite costume at the party. Yeah, that was really good. And and I I did appreciate all the gags of the zombie who just wants to uh, make out on the couch because like all, yeah. the, all, all the actual kids are like flaking out in their uh, attempts to you know make out with their crush. And this zombie, he's not. He's he's, <laughs> he's getting in there. It that night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So the, yeah, that, that that kind of stuff is 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 really fun. And yeah, the, the movie just takes a you know a very sort of like light, goofy kind of fun attitude about the um, whole thing as it kind of pivots eventually into this you know kind of the supernatural romance. One of the the main uh, aspects of the film is that you know it brings back all these people from different time periods, including this um, 
this young girl, uh, Sandy, who was a, a, a cheerleader um, from the 1950s, who mm. uh, eventually becomes sort of, uh, you know, in, entwined with our main character. Who? Why am I forgetting his name? Is his name Phil? He's Phil, right? Yeah, Phil. I, I want to say Phil. Yeah, yeah. Phil. yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, he's the one who's been striking out with, with, with Mary and the one whose friends, uh, you know, are all, you know, he has like a jock friend who has the abusive father. Uh, his other friend is LeVar Burton. Burton, which I was surprised yeah. to see. Um, LeVar Burton's just having fun um, in this. Oh, one yeah, for sure. The, the part where he wakes up and the song and dance is going and he just like <laughs> a huge smile and he gets involved is so funny. Yeah. Um, but 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 Phil and Sandy kind of strike up this this sort of uh, this this love interest that sort of crosses time periods. And there's, there's lots of, you know, uh, Phil not really getting it. Cause he's kind of slow at the whole social relationships thing. He doesn't really understand what she's saying. And she's being like, yeah, like my house doesn't exist anymore. My family is, uh, kind of dead. Um, he's I'm like, that's kind of lonely. I don't really want to go to a party. And so these two just kind of drive around the small town together and it's kind of cute. I actually really liked the sequence where, uh, she gets really annoyed at all of the eighties music and there's a lot of eighties music in this movie. That's actually <laughs> yeah. really great, but she gets annoyed about it. And so when one of the kind of more like classic doo-wop 50 songs comes on, um, she has him like get out of the car and start dancing with her in the yeah, street. I think it's heavenly night- angel. I love that song. Yeah, 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 that's correct. There's this nice little sort of like crane pullout shot while they're like dancing together in the street. That's just, you know, genuinely um, kind of, kind of sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's just like a sweet movie, honestly. In time a little bit. And, yeah. and then they do the, cla- like, I like that it also turns into the whole, like, we're going to go to make out point, that kind of thing. And, <laughs> yes. you know, he, get, he yes. gets there. And I love the gag of him having to close the, the convertible top and they just show the entire top being yes. <laughs> like slowly covering the car. I thought that was a fantastic gag. But yeah, I, I, I liked her character. I mean, I, I, Josh, you've mentioned that like a lot of the 80s movies did a lot of like 50s nostalgia thing without. Yeah, I, th- I think we've talked about this on, on a little bit with on Christine. I know before, we did. because we talked about it with Christine, because that was something Christine, that I thought yeah. about a lot about this was that this movie to me was like ultimately it was very, very endearing and very uh, funny, uh, more so anyway than it was like, you know, genuinely like scary or atmospheric in a way that like, uh, oh, yeah, I, no. I will say that like I, Lady in White actually eventually is while still being yeah. a first movie. Yeah. Um, so, so for me, when I was watching this, I thought a lot about Christine and I was thinking how John Carpenter took a lot of, you know, teen movie cliches and made them actually kind of like perverse and chilling. And that movie itself was almost kind of like a criticism of like that fifties nostalgia that 80 eighties movies like this kind of trafficked in. So for, for me, I was thinking, wow, this is the kind of movie that Christine was trying not to be. Sure. Um, but I was also, you know, being, you know, Christine is its own thing. This is its own thing. It's not really what this movie is going for in any way. Right. I'm watching this as just like a fun little spooky, you know, hangout movie where the zombies and the vampires are are dancing to uh, an insane soundtrack, which we haven't got to, but we should mention. This has Clearance Clearwater Revival on it, Bad Moon Rising. It has the Smiths. Um, it has yeah, the, the uh, Sam, Sam and the Pharaohs, Little Red Riding. Oh, my God. It has Three Dog Night. It has Bobby V. Like a crazy stupid soundtrack. I don't even know how they got this. Did ABC like have some sort of deal at the time that they could just use it? 
I have no idea, but it is, it's remarkable. It's like one of the main selling points for the whole thing. Whenever I recommend it to people, it's just like, there's, you know, a vampire attack sequence in slow motion set to how soon is now it's like <laughs> right. on a t- in a TV movie. That, that, that's one of yeah, my favorite man. sequences when, when like, yeah. and, and, and how a children's movie gets around not being able to do blood by the having, line. Oh my God. Vampire bite her neck. And then just having the slow-mo wine just explode all over the floor. Like it's, it's incredible to the yeah. Smiths. It's great. I honestly wish that there was actually more stuff like that. And I also like, I Me do too. think that they dive a, like very little, but they dive a little bit into the kind of like sexuality of a vampire where there is a moment where she's talking to the jock guy and she's kind of like, uh, if you catch me, you can have all of me, which was, uh, I think mm-hmm. a, a very subtle way of still making it a family friendly film, but kind of still implying the sexuality that comes along with the vampire lore and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, it is once again, very subtle. It's only really one moment in the movie, but I still like that they were able to, to implement that in a TV family friendly film. It's it, it, they have a lot of good ways of, of kind of, uh, going around that restriction that I appreciate. Yeah. There's also a really great sequence towards the end that I thought like the most, the movie's clearly not trying to be scary or even creepy. It's, it's a very cozy film. Like we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, you know, right up there with, I feel like it should be that next to like Hocus Pocus. Yes. That kind of I thing. was going to say that. But there, yeah. Yeah. Like it would be an amazing double bill with that film. Definitely. Um, but there's a sequence where they're driving around towards like the end of the film and everyone in the whole town's been turned into zombies and they're still kind of like doing stuff like the watering their lawn at midnight and like, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, throwing, I think the paper boys, a zombie throwing papers and on his bike and stuff. And it's like actually a little bit creepy in a really weird way, like a surreal way. Um, I don't know if that was in their intention, but it, it was good. Yeah. The, yeah. I mean, there, there are, there are a couple of creepy images. I liked the, the first death where the, the father is like strangled out back and it's all done in like that silhouette shadow, like on the garage. And yeah, yeah. Like that like that that was kind of um decently shot there there's a part where at a certain point like the entire town is being converted into monsters like one by one and uh th- again they're they're throwing in nice gags and stuff like when they're driving around where they see that there's like one of the monsters is just singing the opera because he doesn't want to kill <laughs> yeah. people he just wants to sing the opera that's that's his deal yeah. but there was one shot that i found actually kind of uh creepy that i'm not sure how in how creepy it was meant to be but the milkman on top of the truck, like just a hurling milk at people. <laughs> I, don't I think know I think that's the same sequence I, I just mentioned. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that's like part of this weird montage of like everyone in town dead, just doing random things. And it like yeah. struck me as like a cool image, like an actually creepy image. Yeah, that 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 stuff I definitely thought was like actually kind of uh, uh, effective. And like when they eventually get back to the cemetery and they're like circling the car and it goes like full kind of like night of yeah. dead mode a little bit like that. You know, even even though the kids are, are are doing you know some blatantly ridiculous things, like they are like we we need to get the the candle to seal the wax to put it <laughs> to put it back in the tomb and then yeah. you know this will this will make all of the monsters kind of um, disappear. Um, they don't establish whether everyone comes back to life afterwards you notice that i, I did notice that he kind of just drives away yeah, he drives he away and either best. everyone's dead or not yeah. <laughs> he's like well i got I my know. ghost girlfriend so it doesn't matter if my entire town was turned into vampires and might be dead now it's all good yeah yeah the town is empty now <laughs> made out so it's all good <laughs> yeah yeah but no there's there's some some you know some i i especially like the like the the hangout vibes of the of the whole thing like there there is so much of this movie yeah. that is just spent doing like little tiny 
uh, oneers in this Halloween party where everyone is just in costume and everyone's dancing and everyone's drinking punch. I loved the image of the the little zombie who yeah. goes up to the punch bowl and just shoves his face directly into the punch <laughs> bowl. And he's just like, OK, I guess that's a thing that's just going to going to happen. But then it is the the sort of. uh the great ancestor of the one character, Melissa, who is the the original vampire that the Witchfinder General was uh, putting back into the ground. And uh, she's the one at the party who is a vampire and starts converting everyone. And she eventually is successful where she is, you know, sort of, uh, you know, uh, going person by person and, and infecting everyone at the party until everyone is ready to do a song and dance number. <laughs> That's right. That is, she was just that prepping is just, the party, really. Yeah, yeah, I mean, really, they were just, you know, they were like Eternal biting people. Life just makes them time. really good at choreography. Exactly. That's all. Yeah, that's all. You uh, know. But that that sequence the, is like really, really um, spectacular. The highlight of the movie of the the thriller music video. That was around the point where I realized it and had to look it up because I was like, yeah. why else do you throw this in there? Yeah. Um, it's so silly. It's so over the top. I love the lyrics too, where it's like, uh, "I'm dead. You're dying. Everyone should try." It. <laughs> yeah, I believe the song's called "Get Dead." So Get that dead. Is the hit. That's yeah, so so sick. it's very good. Um. Yeah, uh, more movies should just, uh, like we said, uh, pause in the middle just to do a completely indulgent, um, <laughs> spooky Halloween number for no reason at all. Yeah, I love yeah. it. Also, speaking no. of uh, Christine again, actually, there is a, a, a part that I kind of almost forgot about where they're driving and they pull up again, like up to these these kind of like, you know, badass looking guys with a with a muscle car. And uh, Sandy starts to encourage him to like drag race with them. And I and I yes. thought I thought that that <laughs> oh, yeah. was going to turn into like because she's been up to this point and she is throughout the entire thing. But up to this point, she's been completely innocent and very just like you know cute and adorable and and nice and lost kind. soul wandering like a time period she's not from you know yeah like that kind yeah. Of deal. So I thought it was going to turn into this thing where at first where uh, she was going to start encouraging him to do these like dangerous things that are cliches of the fifties like drag race. I don't know to knife be like fight, a greaser something. Yeah, something exactly. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get him, get, and the get fact him a switchblade knife and start challenging people <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the streets. She like buys him a leather jacket. He just turns into basically yeah. <laughs> John Travolta by the end of it. Yeah. Um, and the fact that her name is Sandy, I thought was just kind of uh, ob- an obvious that is funny, uh, actually. reference. It's a little on the nose. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, but they end up just kind of doing the romantic thing. But at least at first, I thought that that's what it was going to turn into, and I thought that that was an an interesting thought. And I still do like that they have the gag of her like being obsessed with cars and driving around really fast. Oh yeah, and and and, mm. and, and telling him to take her to the malt shop. Like right. Yeah. No one would have seen anymore at that time period, which they go to. Yeah. And eventually it's just it's just a movie theater where it's uh, <laughs> where they're playing uh, Deadly Message and Night of the Ghouls. And I, li- <laughs> I like always looking at all of the different titles that they're that they're playing. Yeah. But that that's what that's when they eventually go to the, the closed down drive in. Right. Which they make like make out point. And then yeah, they I do that so. gag you were talking about with the with the convertible roof coming yeah. back on. But then, then the, the werewolf, werewolf man like ripping through it. Oh, stuff yeah. like that. Wolfman yeah. jumps off a covered bridge and tears the roof up. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's very, very good. Uh, Kurt Wood yeah, Smith that, is in this very briefly as like the he? town sheriff. Yeah. Yep. Just, he's oh, like wow. a cop. Uh, and he just plays that, that kind of cliche eighties cop that won't listen to anybody. Like he's just like, like I'm right. telling you the ghouls are taking over the town <laughs> and just, ah, well, we'll keep it in the report. Happy Halloween. That kind of thing. 
I do like yeah, the no, one sure. shot. And, uh, he actually has a, a great line because they're like, uh, you've had three reports of like monsters. Don't you think that adds up to something? And he's like, sure, I do. Werewolves, <laughs> zombies, vampires, goblins, little green men. They all add up to let's have fun with the cops. And Sandy, <laughs> and Sandy gets this great line where she's like, I told you the fuzz wouldn't believe us. And they're like, the fuzz? What the fuck year is this? <laughs> It's the fuzz. <laughs> oh man! And I and but Kurt Smith is just about? a perfect like casting for that. He's just such a good like hard ass. Uh, so yeah. it, it was nice to see him in a little cameo. And he also does have this kind of. What, it's during the montage, I think, when they're taking over the town. He does have a, a cool little moment where they dress him up as kind of like a zombie, and he's holding fire in while looking into the camera. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that yeah, sequence yeah. with the milkman and everything too. I yeah, think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, so that was just I. I really liked that image, and for Kurtwood to go horror mode for a moment, that was kind of that was kind of cool. Um, and speaking of just random people in this movie, I just looked up that Macaulay Culkin is in this uncredited. Apparently his first uh, screen credit. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny, man. Wow. And uh, Kevin McCarthy, the lead of uh, uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from the 50s, is a judge in this. And I didn't even recognize him. So that's it was just. Cool. Oh, so so he's so he's the dad, right? He's the guy who gets road rage and starts driving, pe- trying to drive people over. Oh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then so, yeah, and then. Cool. A, and then eventually converts his own son um, by like attacking him at his at his house. I did love that uh, instead of getting laid with the ancient vampire, the jock has to be like, "Sorry, I got to go downstairs. My dad is drunk driving again." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah, which that is, is just yeah. a kind of a kind of detail you won't see in a teen movie probably as much anymore. No, that's so yeah. Funny. Where he's just very casually, it's like, actually, no, he's not drunk driving. He's a zombie. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I like eventually a- this just turns into a sweet little romance yeah. thing where Phil and Sandy have to find a way to reverse this, you know, this this Night of the Living Dead situation that they have kickstarted. Um, even though that means, you know, that also, you know, he Phil doesn't realize it, but we as the audience, you know, have kind of been cued into it by all the clever little word play that she's been doing, that she's from the 1950s and has also risen with the dead. <laughs> right. That by setting things back to normal, he's also going to, you know, uh, l- lose her. And that is, uh, you know, eventually what happens in sort of like the really big sequence where they go back to the cemetery and all of the monsters are surrounding mm-hmm. them in the car and they're trying to get the the candle wax and they're trying to get the, the bones from the witch finder to to reseal it and everything like that uh monsters are just you know uh, everywhere in this big cemetery sequence and uh yeah she she eventually uh just says what is it did she just say uh i'm going to miss you or i love you i forget what her line is uh, she does say that she loves him um and then just says goodbye okay. phil so it's very right, that's yeah that's right yeah very simple but I, uh, romantic and sad and i liked that I like that they kept the subplot just like a sweet romantic thing and didn't really need to go any further with it than that. It's just like exists as this uh, sweet mm-hmm. counterpoint to all the weird hijinks. Um, yeah. That, and, and it'd be so easy for it not to work or to like be a, a um, to be a drawback uh, from the more like uh, outwardly fun sequences, but it actually is like the heart of the film and it works really well. Yeah. I, th- I found it to be very sweet and I do like the, um, uh, I like the the very end where she wrote in her lip gloss that had a specific smell or whatever uh, their initials on her tombstone before going back into the grave. And uh, then 
he gets she, a song she, she, dedicated. She, 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 she to had him. the midnight hour radio host who's been <laughs> playing, presumably playing the soundtrack for us for the entire movie. She yeah. she dedicates a song uh, to him. It's it's from Sandy to Phil. Yeah, and it's Baby <laughs> yeah. I'm Yours. So it's just you know there, there's some and once again it is like that nostalgic '50s thing. But I I think the the movie is endearing enough and and cute enough to pull it off. Um, and I I did get a kick out of it. I really liked that ending. Uh, and I did like the, like, before everybody disappears, just the shot of them in the car and looking at the windows and seeing all these different types of ghouls and goblins and whatever just surrounding yeah. the car. I thought that was interesting. And the Harburton uh, vampire pressed the pressed against the window and yeah. uh, the various witches and stuff. Yeah. yeah, and I also thought it was an interesting shot when Sandy uh, first arrives and, you know, comes out of the ground or whatever and she's with all the other monsters, that she's the only, like, clean-looking thing there. It's just a, a cheerleader that's, you know, no dirt, no, no anything. She looks completely normal. And she's just walking aimlessly with all of the monsters, but they're not paying any attention to her. There was just... It's obvious that they're just doing it like she's a ghost, so they're not going to bother her. But um, there's something kind of just bizarre about that image um, and, and, and Phil hmm. immediately complimenting her on how great her costume is like, <laughs> yeah. this is just my clothes um, yeah yeah I, yeah I, I I did like all of that stuff at the Halloween party where it's it's a very similar idea that they use to really scary effect in the original Halloween film but it's like it's on Halloween night who's gonna be creeped out by the guy walking around in a mask like that's what you right. do um, so there, yeah. there is something cute about how Halloween night is like the one night that all of these zombies could come up and people would be like, hey, let's have a great time, everyone. This yeah. is this and is just going to be fun. And they do. And they do eventually have fun, which I, you know, do. Uh, I, I had a good time with, um, you know, it has a very cute 80s teen comedy kind of romance thing to it mixed in with like this monster mash Halloween party music video thing. But then it's also doing like little light, like quasi parodies of stuff like Night of the Living Dead and American Werewolf meets like Grease or something. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's yeah, a lot. I mean, if, if we're making our way towards a uh, reductive rating round, which for you, Trevor's, we, we reduce the movie between a number between one and five, but it's also closing statements or, if, or uh, any lines or scenes or anything we accidentally didn't hit on the way, feel free to bring it up. But for me, this one's going to get a get a get a decent to, to high three uh, for me. I do think that being um, a little light means that it didn't quite um, hit me in the way that some other um, movies will. But I think that it is mm-hmm. quite good at being light. Yeah. And, I, and I do wish that there was a better version available. I wonder if I could, you know, if I could uh, see more of the sort of like sets in the costumes, if that would even yeah. be a little bit more helpful. But it is really only available in like a, what has to be like a cheap DVD rip of the yeah. Yeah, it's a YouTube uh, or DVD or rip. <laughs> yeah. I think it might even be a rip. I know Anchor Bay released it in their clamshell line in like nineties, and uh, but I think that might be the rip that's floating around. Okay. Doesn't yeah, look great. That, that's what I'm guessing. Um, so I would, I would honestly like yeah. to see this given a give someone out there, give it a nice Blu-ray, and let's see if yeah, uh, the, the, the sort of the vibes and the atmosphere play up a little bit more when you can see it a little bit better. I'd, I'd definitely be interested in, in giving it another watch. But beyond Same. that, like it's pretty solid as like you know the sort of like pre-Monster Squad little sort of nostalgic children's uh, hangout horror kind of thing. It's 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 earnest and kind of corny and 
It has a, a supernatural kind of uh, romantic time traveling kind of aspect to it <laughs> a little bit with the with the central romance and the actual makeup and costume and hangout aspect of just the monsters walking around with us and drinking the punch and singing the opera and dancing and making out with the characters is uh, surprisingly like very sweet and, and very fun and the vibe is uh, you know uh, very I think uh, effective and there are sequences that that work again the the the, the murder sequence on the silhouette the slow-mo uh, vampire attack with wine breaking and going everywhere to the Smiths and I forget exactly what the line is but it's like uh, which which do you think I should get like red or white and she's like red yeah. <laughs> definitely <laughs> red and like there's there's you know very goofy like little writerly elements in there that I think are quite cute uh, one of my personal favorites that I'll bring up that we didn't get to touch on before I wrap up here is um my favorite joke in this movie was the classic zombie movie moment when they're trying to break through the house and they just barely have stopped a zombie whose hand has made his way through the door. And the your immediate moment is, holy shit, well, we need to stop this zombie from getting in. Also, this zombie is actually wearing the ring that we need for the ritual. So <laughs> the girl, Sandy, immediately grabs a butcher's knife in the kitchen and you go, this is a kid's movie. They're not going to chop his yeah. fucking hand off, but that's obviously what you would think to do if you were in a zombie movie. So it's a very funny little moment. And instead he goes, no, uh, get the syrup. And she throws him some maple <laughs> syrup and they literally like, uh, uh, lube up his hand so that the <laughs> ring will fall off via maple syrup. And I thought that that was just a sort of perfect encapsulation of like the tone that this movie yeah. is, is going for. He so like, if that absolutely. sounds like cute and fun to you, yeah, uh, I'd recommend it. Like he stops her and goes, we're not in that movie. You can't do that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we are not in Dawn of the Dead. Uh, <laughs> Savini's not on this film. You need to get the maple syrup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would myself. I think I'd give it like a, a light four. Honestly, I just I, I've watched um, like I said earlier, I've watched a lot of these Disney Channel films uh lately and so I, you were just blown away by the craft yeah i was like if this was what they were putting on the disney channel like th- th- like i would be a much uh, i would have been a much happier kid i think you know uh th- i thought that this was really great i would probably like st- I, I i don't know if i would put it in like the halloween lineup right away but it's definitely something i want to keep and if i ever have like kids or i'm ever looking after my younger cousins like this was so- this is something i'd throw on without a doubt and i know they'd like it um, and I, yeah, I just think this is a really solid, uh, family friendly movie. And I'm surprised to, to hear that it's like a, a TV movie as well, but that might make sense with the bang and soundtrack that it has. Cause they, it's the soundtrack. Yeah. They yeah. had to have some connections there because like it's it, one after the other is just unbelievable what they, yeah, I was shocked every time a new song hit, I was like, how did they afford this? Yeah. It's crazy. They're, it's, it's unreal. So yeah, it's, it's very cute, very fun. Uh, uh, it's, it's corny and cheesy, but in all the right ways, I think. And so I would highly recommend it, especially if you're, a, uh, if you've got kids or, or younger family members or anything like that, I think it would And you want to get really them into the well. spooky season. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think this is a good, very good stepping stone. So nice for you, Trevor. Um, yeah, I kind of landed right between your two ratings with a, with a solid 3.5. Um, Hell yeah, yeah it, it's just. It aims to be this uh, very specific kind of cozy, um, like pseudo, uh, you know, family friendly, uh, you know, TV movie vibe. And it, it just pulls it off. And 
really like goes the extra step um, in a lot of ways where it didn't have to. Like you said, the that moment with the wine bottles exploding, uh, a, a lot of really cool, weird touches that you know, just it's clear that they gave a, they gave a shit about it. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. you know, you, you could easily have seen a version without that, and you, you never would have known. Um, yeah, I just really hope it gets a Blu-ray release. I want to see Scream Factory finally, or somebody like that release something like this because I think it just really deserves to be a seasonal viewing. Um, you know, like I said, alongside like Hocus Pocus yeah. or um, you, you know Tim Burton Sleep Sleepy Hollow, like that kind of thing for sure. Mm-hmm. Like the spooky autumnal vibes uh, that are always so good. Um, yeah. yeah, I yeah, I just wanted to have a good audience, get, get a good audience soon. Definitely. I think it deserves. Yeah, no, it. It, 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 it's very it's very rare to find a film like this that like walks that line of being like family friendly, but still you know kind of yeah, spooky yeah. and 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 fun and you know it, it, it so yeah definitely a, definitely a curiosity worth checking out if uh, anyone happened to not check this out when they were kids. It was honestly a movie I wished I had when I was younger. I probably would have even more affection for it. Oh, me if too. I had, if yeah. I had seen it when I was younger. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I first heard about it from somebody, a friend of mine, who I think had seen it when he was really. Young and he was just, you know, basically the equivalent of being on the street corner, like raving about it. To, yeah, you know, listen. <laughs> I feel like that's what um, me too. <laughs> yeah, it would absolutely be me if I'd seen it uh, when I was really young. It feels like one of those things you're going to see on TV, you would have seen on TV and just doubted for 20 years whether it actually exists or not. Right. Yeah. <laughs> the Smiths were playing in the band, there was a vampire and <laughs> throwing milk bottles. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, they, were, they were like, wait, they got Bad Moon Rising and the Smiths? I don't think so. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, I think that will wrap it up for the midnight hour here. We're going to be right back, and we're going to be talking about the lady in white. I have just one hope to solve the mystery. Sometimes when someone dies violent, they can't rest in peace. To stop the evil. Where are you going? I got to follow her. To save your life. Come here, child. Open the door. Say your prayers. Lady in white. All right, we are back and we are talking about the lady in white, the 1988 American supernatural mystery horror film directed, produced, written and scored all by Frank Lelogia. Wow. Um, Oh, I had no idea. I thought he was just the director. That's incredible. No, yeah. <laughs> no. This is this is a huge passion project um, on behalf of Frank. Apparently, he spent a long time getting this uh, going, and it was a massive bomb. So uh, I don't think oh, he made basically anything again um, afterward. Um, the story is based on uh, actually uh, this this legend of the Lady in White, which is a real legend, apparently, out of uh, Rochester, New York, concerning a woman who supposedly searches for her daughter in the Durand Eastman Park, um, which is where the director, Frank Lelogia here, uh, hails from. Um, So this is a uh, passion project for him to realize this kind of spooky story that he heard from his own childhood by the sounds of it. 
Um, and you know, he, he actually did go and eventually shoot it in upstate New York to try and make, uh, recreate, um, some of his own sort of childhood memories and local lore and scenery that he kind of, um, remembered, um, from that time period. And you definitely get that, um, out of this movie, especially, you know, uh, Trevor said that the pairing here was partially due to the kind of nostalgic quality that the both films kind of have, um, I feel like Midnight Hour kind of has a nostalgia of like it feels like you're watching a movie that you would have watched when you were a kid. This has the feeling of like a very specific you are watching someone else's nostalgia. Yeah. Um, you yeah. are you. It has That's this really lush kind of like overexposed photography style to it that almost reminds you a little bit of Spielberg. Um, it, it has some of the stickier elements of being a child and kind of being awoken to sort of the crueler things that are kind of happening around you and sort of coming of age and, you know, yeah. realizing that adults in your life are more flawed than you might realize and that there is pain out there in the world. And Especially- he develops all of these kinds of things into like a basically a paranormal ghost story that's also like a serial murder mystery where the hard-boiled detective is like a nine-year-old kid <laughs> yeah. yeah i really like the way they they show the the kind of innocent tone at least first of the town because the way that they do it is well first i guess it's you know he arrives from the airport the writer himself and then he's kind of telling a story to the taxi driver as he's looking at a uh a gravestone um, mm-hmm. but, but once it gets to the, to the kid in the town, it's, it's kind of the same intro a little bit as the midnight hour where you have a kid and he's riding around with his, uh, his bike with his like mask on and everything. And you kind of get a, <laughs> a sense of the, what, where at least superficially what's on the surface kind of is the, the innocent town of just a bunch of kind, loving people that are looking out for their community and smiling and waving at all their neighbors and, and all of that. And, uh, and then, you know, as the film goes, obviously it, it, it gets worse. <laughs> it gets much worse. Yeah. Um, but I, I did like that, that innocent kind of tonal establishment it does at the very beginning. And it's once it's got that Halloween autumn feel that I love. So, um, yeah, it got me into that, those spirits, at least at first. I love that you brought up that, um, that intro where the whole film is a story being told by an adult about his childhood because it's right. exactly that, um, that looking back, idealized, like over lush, like per- pic- picture perfect autumn that yeah. probably never exactly existed like that. It's definitely like his his memories completely um, brought to life. Uh, and that's really important um, mm-hmm. when you watch this one. Yeah, yeah, because it's because it's it, technically this movie takes place Halloween night, 1962. Um, where there is this young boy, Frankie, who is played by uh, a, a young boy named Lucas Haas, who I was uh, uh, kind of... Uh, it was interesting to realize that I'm more familiar with him as an adult actor because he's uh, he's the guy who fucks up the carpet in the opening scene of Inception. yeah he's the guy who like designs that first dream and like really fucks it up and they make fun of him for like fucking it up or whatever but he's also been in like first man he's been in widows uh other spielberg films like lincoln he was in um he was opposite joseph gordon levitt in um what's that teen detective a brick 
the teen detective okay, one yeah. by um, yeah, yeah. Ryan Johnson that, that he was uh, in. So he's had quite, you know, a, a successful kind of very minor character actor kind of career. Um, and he has to hold this and, whole film on his shoulders, really. Like he's in almost every single scene. And I, yeah, I say, absolutely. He's, he's very good child actor. Uh, he really holds his own. And he has to. I mean, once again, every scene is based around him discovering this kind of like mystery and un- un- we're unraveling the mystery rather. So yeah, it's yeah. all him. Uh, and I was impressed by that too. Yeah, he, he, does a great he has job. those good um, Spielberg uh, awe faces that he likes of kids with their eyes open and mouths open, just like <laughs> yeah. what the fuck am I looking at, kind of stuff. And he does <laughs> great. He has great little scenes where he's like riding his bike around town to like this very light, twinkly score past all the small town, like rural diners and 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 dogs and everything like that. And he he also uh, a thing I kind of appreciate that they develop of him is that they establish him as kind of like this storyteller where he gets up in front of the class and like reads this story about like a sea monster destroying London or something oh, like that. Oh, that scene is so good. The classroom's like decorated for Halloween like to the hills yes. and uh, the, the his narration of this like weird monster story is actually like so captivating and it, yeah uh, it's, it's one of my favorite he's scenes actually a good storyteller and he's he emphasizing is, yeah. and and he's he's being like you know like they, they eventually killed the monster but did the monster have a baby well that's impossible <laughs> like I, huge dramatic pause I, I wrote down i'm like this kid is gonna be a studio director at no time he's he's already set yeah. up the franchise and the sequel and all that he knows what he's doing yeah, yeah. He knows what he's doing. I also love the energy of the kids because he he'll like there's a part in the story I think where he mentions somebody vomits and so all the kids react and they're like, ew. And so there's just that that kind of like childlike energy in the scene that I really that I really love. Yeah. The kids are just crazy. Uh, I also found it funny that a lot of the time when you see them in the classroom and with the teacher, the teacher is usually just like holding like parties in the room. <laughs> like at one point she's just doing limbo with the kids. They're not even yeah, like, being that's right. She ever like sits them down and teaches them anything in the scenes, which I, I just thought was funny. Yeah. <laughs> when you're growing up and you picture school, like you do, you only, you're only going to remember the good stuff, right? <laughs> that's right. And, yeah, the, the movie watching yeah. days. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, and I, I, I do like, though, that uh, there is kind of like an interesting sort of like thorny depiction of the brother, mm, that the yeah. brother, the older brother is always like messing with him and he, he eventually yeah. like plays, plays this prank on him where he ends up like in covered in wet cement on his <laughs> bike and everything. And he's like, oh, you can't tell dad about this. Like, he's going to kill me. And he's like, good, then maybe I'll have a normal life. It's a very, <laughs> it's a very angsty little brother kind of stuff that, you know, only, you know, someone who has like a, a relative that close in age to them has probably experienced. Oh, so, yeah. you know, the, there is, you know, some small gestures kind of laced throughout that, you know, bring in a little bit of realism into what is otherwise like this sort of picture perfect memory that totally both, yeah. both this character and clearly also, do you know what I just realized? The kid is named after the director. It's Frank oh, and Frankie. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally okay, him. So this, this is literally he's just recreating. Like this is an autobiographical film. Yeah, um, yeah. Where, where he's just uh, he's solving his own local town lore in his own memories. It's a very um, cool idea. I really like that. It is actually talking about yeah. it. It's, it's making me more interested. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for real. I also like. Uh, there's that. a lot of scenes that establish like the the um, Italian American family and uh, <laughs> uh, that he obviously grew up with and. Uh, 
really pulls that off for like comedic effect. I love, yeah, I, I love the I, I grandpa, love grandpa that just wants yeah. to smoke. Oh yeah, yeah, the grandpa's amazing. <laughs> and I love the way that they shoot him over and over again. Like the physical gags are great. The, the first one I loved that uh, the way they shoot it is he's just hiding behind a wall so you can see him, but you see the grandma or his wife approaching him the entire time as he's just like, please don't look at me yeah. throughout this, like around this corner as he's smoking a cigarette. <laughs> There's some really good uh, uh, physical gags with him that I, that I really appreciated. I liked a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also I like, like they don't eventually, I mean, it starts with that innocence, but it starts to get really thorny and it's not even with yeah. like the adults. The first, I think establishment of it is kind of when Frankie ends up talking to two of his, I can't tell if they're really like his friends or if they're just kind of kids he hangs with around the community. But they, the first thing that the kid says is something like, it's colder than a witch's tit out here. So you know that <laughs> yeah. the kids have like, you know, mouths on them a, a, away from the adults. So I like that they established that. But then they make it even thornier where it's obvious that the, the parents uh, of these kids have, uh, have taught them some, you know, racism in some way, shape or form because they call the one boy the N-word boy. Uh, and so, you know, hearing... 10 year old kids talk like that. Like it, it really does have a very, uh, I don't know. It's, it's yeah. impactful. That's for sure. It definitely we'll, we'll talk about the, tone. the the memory aspect of the film when that yes. yeah. to me. I was yes. like, what the fuck? Yeah, like this <laughs> It really darker. whiplashes around. Yeah. This is darker than in t- like I was anticipating and how, and what he at first kind of advertises the story to be. Um, and I just, I really respected that he wasn't afraid to also kind of shed a light on some of the shit he saw growing up in his town while also still having a love for his community. Being romantic about it a little yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 So I, you, I get, really you get both. Um, you get that love and that nostalgia. And then you also get the harsh reality peeking in it. That just increases as it gets into the meat of the story and like the mystery. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's, it's bold. Like, I don't think it works a hundred percent of the time, but I think that it's, um, he really swung for it. It's like an ambitious, like portrait of a small town wrapping up into this like ghost story and murder mystery. It's, it's yeah. wild. Yeah. Mm-hmm. W- which eventually becomes intertwined when the young boys like play a prank on him by locking him in the coat closet, um, by, by stealing his hat and making him look for his hat and everything like that. And then he has to spend an entire night in this coat closet. And there's the, the great image that they've actually turned into the, uh, the poster of the film, which is him in his Halloween costume and his Dracula mask, uh, sitting up just below sort of like the window that's above, um, the, the, the coat room with the, the moonlight kind of shining in on it and stuff. It's like a that. good shot. Really good. Yeah. It's a, it, it's a great shot. And he has to, you know, he, the, the, the camera eventually actually like sort of like uh, dollies or sort of like cranes up to the window where then they do a time lapse to show you how long he's had to sort of like spend in here and it's nighttime and the kid starts like passing out and there's this really sort of evocative sequences where like he has dreams and he imagines his own mother's um, funeral with like the church bells oh, yeah, from the yeah. town late at night as sort of the metronome. And that all the faces are darkened out behind there. him too like the lighting yeah. is in a way where he can't even see the rest of his family members that are there it's it's pretty ominous yeah yeah there, and there's a great little wonder that moves through this gothic tomb with like the candles and everything and then changes into him actually walking into a memory of her alive and in their house like knitting yeah. and there's like a there's like there's like a cornfield just outside the door and the dad and the son are like playing catch and it's like this picture perfect kind of like moment and um you know he he is saying don't leave me to the mother and she says how could i ever leave you and then suddenly he gets pulled from the memory 
memory back into the funeral and then back into the school. Like it's like, you know, multiple sequences happening, kind of collapsing into one another. And uh, it, it definitely, you know, establishes, you know, like obviously one that this kid's mother has died and that, you know, he's he's still, you know, dealing with that. Um, yeah. But, but also just, you know, like the way that eventually all of this combines how these things then affect the individuals of the community. And then that takes on, you know, kind of like a life of, of its own as they start doing things they might not otherwise do, which is, you know, how a community gets over tragedy and, and, and things like that. Um, which is definitely becomes a huge part of the story when he wakes up and he sees the ghost of this girl in this cloakroom closet and she's just, you know, at first she's just there. She's just kind of hanging out. He sees this ghost of her. And then he sees her actually get attacked and murdered in the closet. Um, and I love the way is, that... It's such a frightening scene. Yeah, and the, I like scary, the yeah. way that he presents it uh, because it, it looks as if the girl sees him, like Frankie, and starts freaking out. Yeah. But then it turns into an entirely different thing. And I just like that at first it's kind of like they're making a connection to one another, but it turns into a more violent uh I guess, past memory that we're watching. Um, and then it turns into when the, the actual killer comes into the, to the room and attacks Frankie, it turns into another like insane vision where, uh, although I guess you, you may have already been talking about that with the, is that the same one with the funeral? Cause I thought it was actually yeah. a separate. Okay. Well, I just wanted no, to sorry, make- there, there, no, no, sorry. There's a, there's two because there's the one that he has, which is his memory and which is a dream, which is right. establishing yes. the stuff with his mother. Right. But then when he sees the invisible dude strangle, um, the young girl, uh, there's a part where the camera has sort of like these, um, these, the camera swerves into the vent and you hear these footsteps move along as the camera kind of dollies and follows these invisible footsteps of this guy who killed this young girl. (laughs) And then those same footsteps come in, but they're real. Right, right. Um, And it's the actual guy who was there. So the real dude breaks in and you, you assume that because he's going into the vent and he sees something shiny in the vent, he's, he's looking for something that he left behind. And you assume that it's the guy who killed the girl because it's in the same location. So it just so happens that the kid got locked in a place where, a girl who went missing died. Bad night. Um, And he found the actual murder location of this girl. And then the guy just happens that same night to go back to it to, you know, cover his own tracks essentially. And there's this great little suspense sequence where like Frankie is kind of hiding there in the corner and the guy hasn't noticed that he's there yet, but then he hears a little like rat moving around and he looks and he's, and then he's like, okay, no, it's just a rat. And then eventually the rat moves over all the way to the kid and he sees the kid. And then he actually, there's this great POV shot of him basically strangling the, life out of Frankie and, and like so covering him with this too. black leather glove yeah. covering his vision with it and everything. And then I think that leads into the vision sequence you're talking about, yes. Jamie, where he has like this near death experience. Yeah. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. And I just thought that it was absolutely insane when it got to this because I mean, one, the visuals are pretty awesome. It's like, he's flying over his town and then he flies. Oh yeah. So good. He flies into this burning sun and then sees his dad <laughs> looking at him and then sees a vision of his brother looking through all his shit because he's he's passed on and then this was the one that really got me because he's like uh, he's a 10 year old 
But for him to start regretting the fact he didn't give the love letter to the girl that he has a crush on is just like right. something so existentially heavy for a 10-year-old <laughs> to be dealing with at that moment is pretty wild to me. And I also, just uh, just speaking a little bit on the imagery before this, I like that the girl was dressed as an angel for Halloween because it just gives him that like gives her that like yeah. you know, cutesy angelic feel or whatever. And he's obviously madly in love with her. So for her to be an angel, I just thought was very cute and uh, kind of funny. Um, but yeah, that yeah. This sequence, this vision sequence is <laughs> unbelievable. I uh, was really impressed by it. I liked it a lot. With the first 10 minutes being like this really, um, uh, you know, kid friendly, like autumn in a small town, like uh, nostalgia trip. And then you get the one, two punch of this wildly graphic murder of a child yeah. um, <laughs> and then immediately followed up with a really weird existentially dark like nightmare surreal um near-death experience Death nightmare vision. sequence yeah yeah and then i think it flips back into like the, the the autumnal like look at our sweet town thing for a while and then it just rockets back and forth between those three moods for the rest of the right, runtime because she starts talking to he starts talking to the the girl ghost and, uh, yes. and then, oh, and then they have this awesome, there's actually a couple really good transitions in this too, because they have this awesome transition where she goes to give him flowers for him to smell. And the moment that he goes to smell them, it does a hard cut to the kid getting CPR. And I thought that oh, yeah. that was fucking like just really, really solid. Um, and I got to look through my notes for a couple of the other transitions, but there's a few in here that I was very impressed by and, um, yeah. it, was, it was unexpected. So yeah. It's, it's shot really well and edited really well and just uh, a really uh, beautiful film to look at, too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this was, this was shot by uh, Russell Carpenter, uh, which was by, partially why it looks very nice. Uh, great autumn colors and vibes and the nice overexposed dreamy photography of this kid wandering. Obviously, this sort of coming of age slash murder mystery ghost story. But Russell Carpenter, mm-hmm. famously, uh, James Cameron cinematographer, he shot Titanic. Holy shit. He shot uh, <laughs> True Lies. Well, there you go. Um, this guy, this guy uh, also shot do Hard Target, which we recently oh, covered on the show. Yeah. is not tonally <laughs> the same as this at all, but also a very good looking film. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, that's so yeah, great. Some, you know, he, he pulled like a like a decent cinematographer um, for this for, uh, you know, what what is I, I believe this is a debut, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. And also yep. I like we we mentioned it. Very oh, apparently briefly. he directed something in 1981. Actually, he directed a feature called Fear No Evil. But the, but this this was clearly the passion project. Yeah, that yeah. was probably oh, yeah. the uh, the Fear the, No the, Evil's the, fun the though. higher gig. <laughs> I got yeah. and I gotta say, give it up. I gotta give it up to this director again for the the music because we we mentioned it briefly. But there's some stuff in here that was honestly reminding me of like Final Fantasy soundtracks at a, at a certain time. There, I thought very, a little bit about like Danny Elfman from this yeah, period a little bit. Yeah, a little <laughs> yeah. bit for sure. It's very dreamlike and and kind of upbeat, but there's still some mystery to it a little bit. And there's a lot of diversity in what he's using. Like he he's got horns in there. He's got synths. He's got a little bit of guitar. He's like that. There's. I was thoroughly impressed, and now that I know that he <laughs> composed it all, I am like even even more impressed. So yeah, I wanted to give that a little bit of a shout out because when I if I'm reminded of Final Fantasy in any moment when you're composing something, then you're doing a you're doing a good job. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 the rest of this this movie, like, kind of like as a result, it walks this line, as we said, in the, both this sort of like tonal line and this visual line of like children's ghost story. 
um, mm-hmm. that is, you know, all sort of child innocence and wonder of something almost like E.T. or something. But then with this very actually, you know, again, kind of effectively dark atmosphere and subject matter concerning a vicious child murder and, and racism. <laughs> and obviously the, the yeah. community's reaction to, you know, grief, grief stricken response to like tragedy and the things they try to shield their children from a little bit. It reminded me a little bit of, you know, though not, you know, anywhere near as perverse. It's a little bit too uh, taken with the nostalgia and the memory to kind of hit that high. But it reminded me, we talked about it not that long ago with Adam Naiman, um, Hitchcock's uh, Shadow of a Doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, mm, yeah. Where yeah. There, was, there was this idea that the, the kid is kind of awoken to this insidious nature of someone who kind of performs this domestic familial warmth to the family and then has right, to deal yeah. with all these new things that they experience and this new information that they, they you know, kind, kind of have. And, you know, they, they have to wrestle with that. I, I liked that part of this becomes the kid literally doing like hard boiled narration of being like, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, you know, I, I need to find out what, what that guy was, what that murderer was looking for. It turns out that he was looking for this ring, which is of his graduating cl- class year and has his initials on it. And like, it's literally turns into like a little bit of a, a child detective movie for like a little bit. And while oh, yeah. in the background the town is basically trying to frame the janitor for it. <laughs> yeah. Who, who just happens to be this uh, African-American um, janitor who was at the school, who was found drunk in his office. He was the only person found in the school. And they yeah. say, well, why was he there? And they were like, well, he clearly just drank a little bit too much and fell asleep. And they were like, well, his fingerprints were all over the coat room. And they were it's like, a janitor. <laughs> he, he was like, his fingerprints were everywhere across the entire school. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, but I mean, yeah, there, there's there's this weird like sort of like uh, criminal court drama background um, happening where the, the town is obviously uh, very happy to kind of frame this this black man for um, both the, the yeah. you know the the attempted murder of Frankie and also you know previous murders and disappearances in the town that the town mm-hmm. clearly you know hasn't worked through their their pain or or, or history with and you do see it kind of come out in in some of the adults as well who are like you know yelling like that black son of a bitch and you know yeah. things like that and uh credit to to again the filmmaker here for you know looking at his own past and being able to you know he probably saw some of this racism as a kid and he was like yeah i felt like it you know it needed to make its way in there even if i don't know that they um uh, necessarily wrap it up in the best way. I think <laughs> we'll no, get to no, that no, when, no, when we not. get there. <laughs> I think it, I think it connects uh, just in the in the sense of like how he viewed some of the grosser parts of his town, but connecting to the yeah. overall story. Yeah, it's it's a little bit disconnected. But for for me, it was definitely the most out of nowhere moment in the film that I thought was like crazy bleak. <laughs> It's incredibly yeah. bleak. For, for, it's the for, bleakest like, moment in the whole film. Eventually, results obviously we'll get to it, but like eventually, this has like kind of like a nice cathartic ending to it, and the only person who doesn't get that is <laughs> the innocent janitor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's rough. Uh, but we'll, but we'll 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 get there when 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 we get there. Um, like th- there's there's a lot of like really good stuff in this. I mean, I do like just the domestic Italian family life stuff. I think that the 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 dad who's played by Alex Rocco. Um, who is actually Mo from from the original Godfather film? I thought that he he gets a lot of um, really great close ups of him just like looking at his son with his eyes and just being totally tormented at this idea that his son almost died and having to like just barely bring him back to life when he yeah. has to like look at his own son and said you weren't breathing 
like when we found you and it's it's filled with like you know there's some real pathos to his performance i think yeah and he also yeah. talks about like missing his wife with his brother who ends up being somebody pretty yeah. significant in the, in the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it's, it, it kind of does The dad goes through the ringer on this one a bit. <laughs> yeah. It, it does, yeah. He really goes through it. My God. Uh, oh. it, it, there is a bit of thorniness in that, especially when we know how the movie ends, where you have those scenes where they're actually kind of, you know, they're expressing love for each other, a brotherhood in some way. Uh, and then, you know, to, we know how it ends and we'll get to it, but it's, it, it does lead to some thorniness in that regard is I guess what I'm saying. No, definitely, definitely. And, um, the, the main, uh, thrust of kind of like the middle section of this movie, I would say is that, you know, the, the boy is obviously trying to find out who murdered this girl and who attempted to murder him. But also, you know, this girl who keeps appearing to him in, in various visions as this, you know, this young ghost who's, you know, looking to, you know, settle up some business. There's a reason ghosts are here. Um, and the reason they're here is that they, they, uh, they have some unfinished things that they need to get done. So this girl is trying to use Frankie as a vessel to get that done. And what she wants to do is be reunited with her mother who, uh, for most of the film we think is this lady in white, this woman who, um, you know, is a, who Frankie, uh, thinks is kind of a real woman, but also could also just be a ghost, but it's not done with the same ghost effect as the girl. So it's kind of left ambiguous for large portions of the movie, like how supernatural what we're seeing is, but essentially there's this very, um, you know, atmospheric foggy, um, forest on the side of town that's near a cliffside. And there, there is this 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 very small white sort of like cottage house um, that this lady in white lives in, and uh, Frankie thinks that it's the mother. So he thinks I need to reunite, you know, this this um, this mother and daughter, and that might, you know, as someone who has a childlike innocence, they would think that would fix everything. That would fix all all of all of the problems. It would fix the town, um, and so that is kind of the pursuit that he that he takes. I love the sequence where him and the kids like break into the house and they're like chasing this little alligator that they stole from the pet store or whatever. I love that part so much. Um, and the, and, and the and alligator's a, even doing like more cartoonish things, like he's sticking his head out head out of the dollhouse and then like putting it back in really quickly and then going under their legs. Like there, there's actually <laughs> yeah. some like prankster elements to the crocodile briefly. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I, I like that stuff. And I like the reveal of the lady in white, like just suddenly in the background and the oh, kids yeah. start like freaking out and running their way out. There's, there's some nice, like little, you know, inclusions of, you know, sort of like, uh, negative space where the lady in white appears or like that great moment where she reaches out with her hands yes. and she's basically on a dolly that's like attached with the camera yeah, yeah. gliding like forward, floating, oh, like right yeah. in the lens and stuff like that. Like that. that stuff is cool. That's a great one. Yeah, there's there's some some nice little techniques that I think like unlike for example the Midnight Hour which we just talked about which I think you know that movie on some level it's doing the horror images but it's acting more as kind of it's fitting it into its kind of goofy almost parody vibe like yeah. when a zombie hand reaches in and they grab maple syrup and it's a gag this movie yeah. its horror sequences aren't gags like they are very legitimate they're legitimately you know, scary to be yeah they're meant to be scary. 
Um, which I, you know, which I, I, I credit the film with. There were some, there were some, you know, actual scary moments, which, which clashes with the childlike tone. And which I think is kind of like the point that he's trying to make is that, you know, kids have to live in kind of like these parallel worlds where everything is nice and innocent, but also there's these real painful things that people have to deal with and that they eventually get exposed to. And it kind of shatters their world yeah. a little bit. It's, yeah. it's a, it's a painful Absolutely. experience. Specifically one scene where I think this is where really where like the, the turn starts is he goes to the garage and he overhears a conversation about kind of like the framing of the, the black guy that's being set up in court and all of that. Um, and mm-hmm. at the same time in the scene, he, uh, when he's walking up the stairs, he looks at a calendar with a naked woman on it and takes a second glance at it, which I just thought was one <laughs> cute kind of funny. Uh, but, but it's also, I think kind of a tell of like, you know, he, he's be right in this scene. He's kind of being, um, exposed to, to the new adult world that he, that he's going to be a part of. And then in that same scene, when he turns around after he overhears that conversation, he runs into, uh, his, like, is it his uncle? I believe. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, and yeah. and he runs into his uncle, and his you know his uncle's got the the nice smile that he's had on throughout this entire thing, and he's almost too kind, and he definitely is. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and so when all of that kind of came together, I was like, okay, well, this is this is probably where it's going to start to unravel a little bit, and I just like those three sequences of like ex- being exposed to the adult world that he has in that scene. I guess the one with the uncle isn't as much because he ends up telling him that. But as an audience member, I kind of was seeing the the. I was seeing the strings a little bit on this. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. So, I I I think it's because I don't know about did you guys watch the the normal cut or the director's cut? Director's. I watched the director's director's cut. cut. Yeah, yeah, because the director's. I I don't know exactly what the differences are, but you can definitely feel the length a tiny bit on the director's cut. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think is you know partially it's a a filmmaker. It's a passion project. You don't want to cut anything. I think is is part of it. Um, so there there were parts of me at a certain point where I was very much seeing the puzzle pieces all already going into place like long before the movie was making the gestures yeah um which is not like a huge problem because i i still enjoyed like the, the the vibes and everything and the actual you know filmmaking itself which i thought was pretty solid but i i i did at a certain point i was kind of like okay you can get to the next um beat yeah you're going to i do, do think the theatrical cut might be the ideal um because i do remember watching both and it's just a lot of character beats that are nice but maybe not quite essential and um like you said, you can kind of see where the story's going, and it does drag its feet a little bit in the director's cut. A um, tiny bit. There's just yeah. feels like a couple things they could have collapsed together, like the sequence where yeah, they yeah. have the lady in white, and then there's a whole separate sequence where he has to go back through the forest to the cliffside, which is when he watch he goes to the school and he watches the 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 memory of this ghost girl being murdered and then taken over to the cliffside and thrown off the cliffs and that's like an entirely different sequence that also takes like 10 minutes um yeah it's still a spooky sequence and i like it but i think that there were just moments where there you know there could have been there could have been some efficiency um done to it a little bit but i'll have to watch the theatrical and see if that's true maybe there's stuff in the directors that i that i do prefer because this is definitely his um his baby you can tell that yeah oh my god very much what he wanted to make and maybe this is the ideal version i'm not sure but i do like that sequence of him throwing 
seeing the ghost girl get thrown off and then seeing the mother uh, come out and having, you know, having heard her daughter scream for help from her and is just in complete anguish. And this great moment where her sort of like white dress almost becomes like these angels wings, which is then superimposed on an image of like she's being held and like cupped in these giant pair of hands that yeah. are holding her, which yep. then <laughs> let go as she like jumps and hurls herself to her own death screaming after her own child which is obviously like a very horrible sequence for this nine-year-old to just just watch and be leveled with you know solving and then at that point that's when he vows to like help her and bring the killer to justice and he you know he completely understands the anguish of both the child and and the mother at that point it's heavy it's much heavier than you'd expect going in honestly uh yeah uh, and when she falls too, like they do this weird thing where you see it in Frankie's actual eyes, which I thought was kind of cool too. Yeah, like true. he really starts to stylize all of these. Any time that he gets to do a, like a dream moment or a ghost moment or a, just something that that is uh, supernatural, he does find cool stylistic ways to to express those, which I which I always appreciated as well. Cause, uh, he, he just, yeah, he does a lot of that. Like, uh, like when she opens it up, it's just, it's a very epic feeling. Um, and then it is kind of haunting when she does that, like their wings, but then just falls into the water and just crashes in. They also have a yeah. really kind of, I, I, I was, they must've used a, a dummy because the waves were just way too strong, but there is a shot of the little girl just kind of laying on the rocks and a big, huge wave just takes out the body. It just smashes and her. And I was yeah. like, I was like, <laughs> oh. that had to have been a dummy because my God, <laughs> that, that looked, but it looks very real um, and authentic. So yeah, there's a lot of good stuff mm-hmm. in that. Yeah. My- yeah and, and eventually the, um, the 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 background sort of grand jury courtroom stuff um, ends up resolving with that they they can't indict the janitor Willie due to uh, insufficient evidence because it's very clear to everyone that he uh, didn't do it except for the one woman in town who yells at his family in church and is like you know dealing so much with the loss of her own right. child or grandchild or whoever it was that she you know she it, it's it's blinding her to you know her own racism essentially. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which uh, which definitely goes super wrong <laughs> when outside the courthouse, the distraught mother oh boy. of the murdered child uh, basically pretends to be uh, for, for to apologize. Yeah. For, you know, like assuming that he was the one who did it. And uh, he he gives a big old like, you know, that means a lot coming from you. Like, thank you a lot. And then uh, she just shoots him right in the head. And like you get the blood spurt hitting the window right in front of his own wife. Yeah, it's Um, a lot. It's crazy. It's (laughs) really, really gruesome and kind of painful to watch. And just, yeah, very shocking. Just kind of like comes out of comes out of nowhere that she. And then the film just kind of the film just continues. And and I don't think there's anything about that ever again. The yeah, one issue was, that I have with this is that I wish that it did come back to it at some point because they needed it, to. It, it 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 does forget this whole storyline after this moment, and I was thinking like it it it. it exercises so much effort bringing this up and I respect it that it wanted to include this in the movie, but it is very weird to, um, you know, to not include this in some way in the finale where like, 
his family get some sort of catharsis out of the finale too, in some case, or even just even going back to this, this woman who murdered him. They, we don't even go back to her at any point. Yeah. It needed um, one more beat, um, with that. Definitely. Some, some capacity. Yeah. I think what yeah. they were trying to do was kind of that, uh, you know how the, like, uh, Trevor, I don't know if you've read it, but, um, it by Stephen King where they're, yeah, like, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah. So I, th- I, th- I think what they were trying to do is kind of have that, this like, you know, this ghost or supernatural story tie in with kind of the, the political and social stuff that was going on at the time as well. And I yeah. agree that I, it, it doesn't do it entirely well because they just, they did need that one extra beat after such a shocking scene that I did like the scene itself. I mean, is, is well, the scene, done. The scene itself is and, shocking oh, no, and, and, yeah, and effective. I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm glad it's there yeah, for sure. I it's just, just, I wanted yeah more closure, I guess. Yeah. I think it did need to wrap it up a, a bit better. Um, but I, I think it still kind of works for me just because I think he's doing that similar thing to what it does where it's kind of relating the supernatural murders and ghosts and all that with the kind of disgusting qualities of society that were going on. Absolutely. Right, Cause because part of, part of it obviously is that, you know, the, uh, this history of, of, uh, you know, uh, both racial animus and, and all kinds of violence and things actually yeah. like swallows and eats the children. Like that's like literally like a larger right. kind exactly. of allegory at play. But I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that, you know, there's something to be said about, again, how all of this, uh, you know, violence kind of affects the community and the decisions that they make and how sort of yeah. messy that ends up kind of being. But yeah, I do think that if that's what you want to do, you got to come back to it at some point because the movie just absolutely forgets that that's a scene that happened in it once it happens. Yeah, it just goes ghost um, mystery mode for the rest of it and doesn't bring it up yeah. again. Um, that's my one uh, thing I would change in this movie. I think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I because, because the finale still, you know, it's got some really strong stuff in it as they eventually... You know, they uh, I, I do like how the two brothers together both find out that, uh, you know, like like the ring is actually um, Uncle Phil is actually the um, the initials on the ring. And then, you know, Uncle Phil takes Frankie, you know, for some some archery practice. That's and a creepy shot this, in that, too, where he's like whispering. Yeah, in oh, yeah. About all these that whole sequence is one of my favorites in the whole movie. That whole and that, sequence, that beautiful the image yeah. of the wide shot of the grass and the water and everything with this shadow yeah. that just covers the whole thing. Um, that stuff's really ominous, and yeah, him like whispering in his ear and getting really intense about him actually training the kid how to shoot, and um, and then yeah, realizing while that the Uncle Phil uh, hums the song that the ghost yeah. girl puts on yes. uh, and, and, and sings and puts the record on earlier in the film um, on like Christmas night or whatever. Um, and I like that Phil's kind of fighting himself a little bit. Like he's, he's clearly, he still, he does kind of have a love for his family in some way, shape and, or form. It's just that obviously he doesn't want to uh, have his murder be exposed and all that. So he does this weird thing where he's kind of trying to like, suppress his rage a little bit at first and then it just starts <laughs> yeah. to come out and he's just shaking and like frothing at the mouth almost at at a at young Frankie so he gets very animalistic and he yes. starts gnashing his teeth and like yelling yes. but he's also being my sweet Frankie yeah it's like it'll and be like, fine no, just, yeah. I promise <laughs> yeah. and like cajoling him that he would never have like knew if he had known it was him he never would have heard him and like just try, trying everything to make it right while crying it's like, yeah 
Oh, it's it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. That's that that, that that's very that that moment's very uh, telling. The bit where he's like, you know, if I would have known it was you, I wouldn't have strangled it. And he's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you still would have been strangling like a ten year old kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a that is like, a great line. As, though. A, as if as if like good old Uncle Phil killing another child would make him feel better. Yeah. In that <laughs> And, he, and, he, uh. and he's like pleading with him and and credit to the actor, too. There's, there's like these really sad moments where he he goes, you know, like, I, I obviously don't want to hurt my my nephew. But I, you know, also, you know, the idea of, you know, the father learning what he's done is like just, you know, he can't stand that. Like that would yeah, be yeah. so painful. He's great. That would be so painful um, to him personally to have to look into, you know, uh, that man's eyes knowing, you know, what what he would know about him. And that's eventually where the the sequence ends, too, which is, you know, pretty smart writing. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And I also like that for a brief moment, it goes a little like slasher mode where he's hunting Frankie down with a bow and arrow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I was like, oh my god, yeah, this the is so wild. Just, yeah, <laughs> it goes some places towards the end. It gets uh, quite bleak. Yeah, because you're mixing like you're mixing this murder mystery with the ghost story, with the woes of the town, with the familial stuff, and it's all just coming together. Unfortunately, like we said, they weren't able to do like the civil rights stuff very well, but the rest of it yeah. does come together pretty well. Um, yeah, it's kind of marvelous that they managed to make everything work as well as it does. Yeah, because there's a lot of subplots in this. Like, uh, I, I was actually yeah. looking at Letterbox reviews, and it seems like most people's issues with the film is the all the subplots. But for me, I mean, for me, it works because, except for maybe that one final thing. Um, but yeah, but same. but I, I was not. I never felt honestly distracted. I, I always felt like I was still in tune with the story and what the narration was doing and all of that. So oh, same, yeah. didn't bother me or make me feel disoriented. <laughs> no, I, I, I think ultimately they work. I did find some of them ways they tried to cross them over, like logistically a little overcomplicated. Sure. Which, 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 which for me is something you just fix again with a little bit of trimming. Like it's not like a huge issue by yeah. any means. I, I just, yeah. I just think this guy probably is just not much of an editor. Um, <laughs> right. But I think, he, I think he's a solid filmmaker on and, and a writer and a music composer and everything else. So there's a lot of really yeah. good stuff that, still works in that even if you know you don't you don't know exactly where to trim your darlings in in certain aspects but it does lead to a a pretty solid finale where you know phil is chasing frankie you know all around these these properties and through the forests and there's this great sequence where he's in the foggy forest all silhouetted and screaming at him and eventually phil gets to him and is trying to strangle him again and then the lady in white knocks phil out and then gives him the sort of which confirms that she's actually a real physical being in the world and not this supernatural thing that they kind of assumed that she was because he assumed she was the mother. It turns out that she's actually the mother's sister and the aunt of the little girl and actually still living. And she's this woman named Amanda and she's very grief stricken. And that's why she's living in, in, you know, their sort of like rundown cottage and unable to move on from, you know, the fact that the girl died and the mother killed herself. And she gets this really sad line. What's the point in living when all that you love is gone. And, 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 and Frankie is just there like being like, what the fuck is going on? Is this this girl going to, is she just ranting to me? Is she going to kill me too? I don't really understand. Yeah, Cause he's, Um, he wakes up and he's on a bed in the, in the shack. Like surrounded yeah. <laughs> by about six hundred lit candles, um, yes. <laughs> while she's like ranting at him about you know uh, you know how how doomed everything is. And I don't know uh, much about child safety, but I would not. I feel like surround them with six hundred candles. No, yeah. no, one one will suffice. 
Yes. <laughs> well, the fire, the house sets fire, so that definitely would have clearly, been yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and and she's also trying to reassure him by being like, "Now, now, child, I've killed him." See, showing like the blood on her hands, and and he's yeah. like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah. but then actually Phil, it turns out, is not dead. And he starts like strangling her from behind in the same POV frame where he like watched Phil get whacked in. So you're getting all these like POV shots of like a little kid watching adults like strangle and murder each other and stuff like that, which results in the entire cottage, like obviously catching fire from the candles during the struggle and the flames like rising on the dolls and the curtains that have all been preserved in Melissa's memory, which is meant to be kind of like this this closing moment of this kid is actually being sort of allowed to to go into the other world a little bit i like um, the full circle imagery of uh the the uncle grabbing frankie and he's he takes him out of the fire but then puts him to the cliff just like the girl ghost uh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah there, there, there's some there's some good tie-ups there too yeah, yeah. And, and and Frankie just like barely hanging off and looking at the water below, but then looking up at Phil where he has like this like fiery red sky like behind him over the side of the cliff and everything like that. The only super silly gesture in this moment, which I don't know if it totally worked, but I didn't like overtly dislike it or anything is when the mother ghost arrives and like literally like strikes lightning and just <laughs> lightning is striking. I get, yeah. yeah, I get it. It's a little over the top, but I definitely still, I, I think it's because it's, it's delved with so many fantasy or supernatural elements already that, I, I yeah. could I, I was okay with it, but it I, worked I, for me. For, it, for me, me. it was just one of the more like childhood movies kind of seeping into like the darker stuff yeah. where like the mother ghost comes in and is like, boo. And it like scares Phil who like falls off the edge. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I <laughs> yeah. do, I do like that. It leads into the cool thing where it's like, they hug each other. The girl ghost mouths. Thank you to Frankie. And then they just like shoot up in a ball of lightning into the sky yeah. or something <laughs> like that. In, into the stars that you kind of get in these nice moments earlier in the film too where like you can see the you know see through the ghost girl into the stars and stuff like that so you know there's some still some thought through images there yeah and then it's not even over because i think that's when uh that's when phil does the the last scare kind of thing right where they think it's all over the ghost story is done they've solved it all that yeah he's he's, sorry he starts climbing back up Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then that's where the dad comes into play and that's where you get an actually kind of emotional uh moment with him and the brother um, where he's trying to save him, even though he's kind of seen what he's been doing to Frankie, but he just, you know, he has a love for his brother and, and it's still yeah, there's, there. There's an in- instinctual familial bond that overrides that. And he's, he's going to actually try to, to help him and, and, and get him to safety and everything like that. And, and that where is where you get the really great performance out of Phil, yeah. where you get that moment earlier where he's just like, I, I don't know what I would do if, if he knew, like I couldn't bear that. And he can't. So he yep. decides to kill himself instead because he can't look at, you know, he, he can't look at the father in that moment. And, um, yeah, yeah there's a real sadness to watching him. Like he is hugging his son. So, he, you know, he still has family and has bonds and connection, but to, he's just kind of like overlooking the cliff and the water and just knowing he's just lost somebody that, although obviously had their issues, uh, he has loved his entire life. So, there is a, yeah. a yeah. kind of somber ending to it in a way. Yeah, it's, it's it's literally like looking at someone you know, someone you care about can cause you so much pain, right? Um, which is a really sad, obviously, realization. And then they cathartically watch the house burn down. Yeah, to a yeah. nice little crescendo that uh, was well made, and 
And then I like that the credits is done to like it's like 40s or 50s music. Seems almost even earlier than 50s. Might be like it's the um, 40s. Isn't it? Uh, you ever see a dream walking? The song that the that um, the uncle uh, was humming. Oh, yeah, or is it di- yeah. Or yeah, it might be a different song. song. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. I, th- gotcha. I think it is. I, I could be wrong about that too. The only lyric I wrote down from it was something strange and mystic happened to me because I thought that that was a cool yeah. line. Yeah, <laughs> that is a cool that line. Awesome. Dang. Um, I think um, I really like this movie uh, partly because it reminds me a lot of one of my favorite novels, which is um, Boy's Life by Robert R. McCammon, uh, which has a similar, like a kid growing up in a small town and the wonders of, of childhood mixed in with um, like a murder mystery. Um, so okay. it touches on a lot of the same beats. Uh, if you like this at all, you should check that one out. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to Goodreads now. I'm going to watch list it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's really cool. But uh, it's yeah, not really watch listing on read Goodreads, list. But. Read list, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, all the yeah, subplots worked for me because I kind of did feel like it did feel like a, a novelistic approach. Um, yeah, definitely. Really, yeah. For the most part, it really worked. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. No, for, for me too, for pivoting uh, towards reductive rating round um, on this one, I think ultimately for me, I think that uh, old old Frankie did a good job on uh, the, the style of this one. He makes it feel kind of uh, melancholy and, and poetic and, you know, combines mm-hmm. like this genuinely creepy kind of paranormal horror story with real adult subject matter into the film, into a film that otherwise, you know, could have very easily just been another Spielberg Disney type kind of kids movie. I think that he, you know, he yep. kind of, he, he clearly mixes in this autobiographical memory of his own childhood um, in with this local sort of like ghost legend that clearly terrified him and realizes, you know, a lot of emotionally cogent, uh, things about, you know, uh, growing up and community and especially in this small town and realize it into this supernatural kind of horror story. I did feel at a certain point that, you know, some of it could have been a little, um, trimmed down or, or just made a little yeah. bit, um, more, more efficient. And even, even if, you know, uh, even some of the stuff with the civil rights stuff, I maybe could have even lost if you weren't going to complete it. Unfortunately, I mean, I, I think it's solidly done, and I think if you would have completed it, it would have been good. But without leaving it complete, I did hit the credits and did think, well, what about the janitor? That was just a very unfortunate aspect of. I wish I was just feeling more of the finale because I think that it works. I think yeah. the stuff with the uncle is is really great, and I think the actual catharsis with the with the mother and the daughter shooting up, and all of the stuff with the you know the the aunt holding him in the house and the big murder and fire sequence i think it's all really solid but i did wonder man why isn't the janitor's family included in the catharsis of 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 this in in some capacity one extra but scene please just one like, extra scene could it could, have, it could yeah. have been done um but i think other than that you know you know it's it's you know uh, it, it doesn't really bother me um that much because i do yeah. think that there are some really uh clever individual sequences that are quite strong like the boys finding out about uncle phil is is really scary a lot of the supernatural stuff is very you know stylishly thought through some of the rear projection compositing effects are a bit ambitious for the budget i think yeah a little bit but um but i'm not gonna 
ding a movie for ambition. Uh, that's not what we do on this show. No. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think a lot of this stuff um, really does work and I got to give them credit and especially stuff, the, the early stuff like Frankie, you know, being uh, almost killed and having the near death experience and dreaming <laughs> of his dead mother's funeral. And, you know, there's really crazy stuff in this when you, um, you know, start to think about it. And, and it really does capture these innocent feelings and these feelings of loss and fear and eventually, you know, catharsis um and a score you know got to give credit to him he did a good job Um, so for me this is still in the like the highest three territory i could give but this was pretty close to the four and talking about it um i kind of want to rewatch it i want to give the theatrical a try um and i i I think it's very possible that i get to the get to the four on on this one yeah Uh, i'm uh i'm gonna give it a four i really did uh like it i i agree that i think the the, the civil rights kind of subplot, I think, needed a wrap-up scene or at the very least just have that family be with the the, the other family while they're kind of having this cathartic moment with the ghost and, and discovering who the real murderer <laughs> was and all of that. They could have yeah, just been a yeah. part of that scene and I think it would have been a, a nicer wrap-up. That, but that being said, I still think it works in a way because it's just, I think what he was trying to do is what I said earlier, which is, just try to express the the grosser qualities of the town while still having his nostalgia for his childhood and community. Mm-hmm. Um, but but yes, I do agree that it could have tied into the finale much better. Uh, that being said, though, I think that he balances these tonal changes like incredibly surprisingly well, well yeah. especially oh, for yeah. somebody that like seems to have barely m- made any films. Like this was his de- was this his debut? Was the other one before this? I, I- I think we saw that this was his sophomore film. Okay. But but it but yeah, it, it does seem like, you know, this was like the film that he really wanted um to make. This was yeah, like I'm the curious. only one that he he wrote and directed and produced. And oh no, it looks like he wrote Fear No Evil too. We might have to watch this Fear No Evil. Yeah, this I think I'm gonna the, have uh, to. I'm just I remember Fear No Evil being really fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm curious where, where he began because that was like seven years before this one or something like that too. Yeah. So yeah. um yeah, I think that this guy does have a real talent when it comes to the craft. There's a he lot definitely of, deserved to make more films. It's really yes. crazy that 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 this bombed this is a and shame. it was just it, it was just nothing else. It got well reviewed. Pauline Kale gave this a good review, and she was kind of tough on stuff at the time. She yeah. said she said um, it has a poetic feeling that makes up for much of its clutter, and that the amateurness yep. of uh, amateurness uh, of it often added to the effectiveness because it gives the movie this kind of childlike naive power. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I agree. I can I see that. I totally agree with that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and I think all the subplots, except for the one that we mentioned, come together really well. Uh, although some of the effects are a little dated, I, I did still appreciate the ambition, <laughs> like like the, the two ghosts embracing and then going up into the stars and the, uh, yeah. the vision sequences where he's like d- flying into a son that turns into his dad looking at him that turns into his brother. Mourning watching his, his death, stuff. possibly, if yeah. he died, yeah. Yeah, and then you get yeah. uh, into uh, like a crazy transition from a girl, like a ghost girl giving him flowers to him being brought back to life through CPR. Um, there's just a lot in here. Then like the murder sequences in the closet. I love like the, the dark quality, how it's all based around like shadows and stuff, the way he's hiding from the murderer. Um, it's, uh, and then, and then some of the more adult qualities, like the little part that I mentioned where he looks at the naked, the nudie calendar, it just kind of takes a second glance (laughs) and stuff. I like that stuff too. So yeah, I think this was incredibly ambitious, uh, uh, really well done technically. Uh, and I think that if he, I mean, if he had a bigger budget, he probably would have 
really knocked it out of the park with the technical aspects that are a little bit um, shaky, but uh, mm-hmm. just, yeah, can't, can't knock a guy for ambition. And I think that this is something that I'll be revisiting. So yeah, four out of five. Hell yeah. For you, Trevor. Um, also four. I think it's a solid four. Um, nice. Nice. Just the fact that it is so, as we've said, so ambitious. Um, and he r- was writing, scoring and directing this like huge passion project. It had every opportunity to go off the rails and be just <laughs> yeah. a, hu- a huge mess that doesn't work at all. And the fact that like 90, 95% of it works like a dream and ties itself up really nicely. Um, you know, with maybe a little bit of sag in the middle and, um, you know, the one subplot that we talked about that needed a little bit more resolution is insane. It's, it's so admirable that it worked out this way. Um, and it's just, uh, I love even the technical effects that, like you said, are a little bit, um, questionable, I think add a real texture and, um, a real, just a really like a really specific look to this that you would have, you know, like if it had some glossy CG, of her floating there or like, right. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't be half. It wouldn't be what you wanted. Me. It wouldn't be preferable to this. No, <laughs> yeah. no, this, the, this weird road, uh, you know, green screen or rotoscope or, or not rotoscope. That's something different. this green screen effect or whatnot of whatnot of having her float around. It's just really, uh, distinctive. And I really like it. Um, it's a more tangible quality. I feel like a little bit. It does. Yeah. Yeah. And just the whiplashing tones, um, <clears throat> The, the fact that they he goes there in all these places and, and decides to say, like, you know what, you know, even through these memories of this town as a child, it wasn't all perfect. There was a lot of really messed up shit happening. Yeah. Um, and choosing to include all that stuff, even though maybe it, was, it would be jarring, um, jumping back between the two is really great. I think it's just this huge passion project that more people should see. It's gorgeous to look at. Um, yeah, I try and watch it every Halloween. Well, I think that that will wrap it up for this week's episode. That was The Midnight Hour and Lady in White. Uh, thanks so much, Trevor, for for joining us and for bringing these films with you. It's always a joy. Uh, yeah, if you've yeah, got same. anything that you um, you want to plug uh, while you're here, this is where we usually have you do that, even if it's just your your art pages. Yeah, um, uh, everything that is cool that I'm working on, I can't talk about. Sucks. Um, <laughs> oh, damn. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm Slimy Swamp Ghost, all one word. And I recommend movies a lot and post my art there. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just Trevor Henderson, all one word. And that is where it's just art. So it doesn't get like lost in the, in the various retweets and stupid crap. Um, yeah. So those two. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Then can definitely recommend um, doing that. Uh, for our listeners, we're going to be back in one week's time where we are going to be wrapping up the Spooktober 2021 season with the uh, Hallows Eve uh, October 30th episode exclusively for uh, you guys over on Patreon where we are going to be doing the episode you all voted on because as you know, uh, many of you should know by now, uh, over on the Patreon, you guys get to vote once every two months for one of our uh, episodes. And you guys got the Halloween episode this month where we are going to be talking about one, uh, Phantasm, yeah. and Ooh. two, Dario Argento's uh, Phenomena. Amazing. Um, so I don't know exactly what the pairing is because I have actually, believe it or not, 
not seen phenomena, but I've seen Phantasm and I really like Phantasm. So I'm excited. Yeah. This was voted by, um, nominated by our patron, Nick Ferguson. So thanks uh, to you, Nick. And by the time that episode airs, the new poll for the next patron vote should be up. So, uh, any patrons listening, make sure to get your double features ready. And, um, anyone who hasn't signed up, uh, sign up. You can, uh, you can decide what we talk about. Sometimes they make it tough for us. Sometimes actually that's not even true. Most of the times you guys have pretty great taste. Yeah, it's almost the last couple bangers. times we've done them. It's always bangers. I will never forget the, uh, the sorcerer bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia episode that they made us do where we ended up going for like two and a half hours. It was crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you guys want to vote on episodes, patreon.com slash these podcast. And that's also where the phantasm and phenomena episode is going to be exclusively next week. And then the week after, we are going to be back with a special returning guest where we are going to be uh, breaking off of Spooktober and headed into Noir-vember, That's where right. we are going to be talking about two um, New York crime films called The Window and Perfect Strangers. I haven't seen either, but I'm going to trust our guest, who is uh, critic uh, Jason Bailey who uh, just wrote an entire book on New York crime cinema and uh, sort of paralleling the history of both the sort of noir and crime films that came up with the actual history of New York and the police institutions and everything there. So uh, I am assuming that while researching his book, he found these two for us, and I'm very excited to have him on again to do that, to kick off Noir Vember, an entire month of nothing but crime and noir neo-noir cinema so get ready for that take off the jack-o'-lanterns put on the fedoras (laughs) you know that kind of deal that's what's going down um that's what you can expect in two weeks time over on the main feed but i think that wraps it up for everything this week thanks so much for listening and keep it sleazy keep it sleazy